there once was a team twas from kc and the name of that team kansas city chiefs they went to tampa to run it back and show who's the real goat soon may the super bowl come to bring us glory and points and fun sunday when the scoring is done we'll take our rings and go they had not won by a plus one score till Buffalo got what they asked for. Josh Allen got butt hurt and swore he'd take his ball and go. Huh. Soon may the Super Bowl come to bring us glory and points and fun. Sunday when the scoring is done, we'll take our rings and go. Before KC had time to gloat, stood in their way, the famous goat. The Chiefs will go for old Tom's throat and turn it into a blowout. Soon may the Super Bowl come to bring us glory and points and fun. Sunday when the scoring is done, we'll take our rings and go. The Badger waits and so does Sneed to jump some routes and make the read. Frank Clark can't wait to hold a lead and oh here comes Chris Jones. Soon may the Super Bowl come to bring us glory and points and fun. Sunday when the scoring is done we'll take our rings and go. The cheetah prowls, his prey is doomed, the jet just made a sonic boom. They call themselves the Legion of Zoom, but Kelsey makes them go. Soon may the Super Bowl come to bring us glory and points and fun. Sunday, when the scoring is done, we'll take our rings and go. Mahomes will get his second ring, the GOAT debate will be a thing. For Brady, that much has to sting, his legacy's no more. Soon may the Super Bowl come to bring us glory and points and fun. Sunday, when the scoring is done, we'll take our rings and... Welcome in, everybody, to It's Always Sunny in Chiefs Kingdom. It is Super Bowl week. Podcast, as always, is brought to you by Sports Illustrated's Arrowhead Report, si.com slash NFL slash Chiefs, or on Twitter at SI Chiefs. You may have noticed the missing Manscaped ads. We are free agents because everybody bought their product and we ran out of sponsorship dollars, but that's fine. We're going to find a better sponsor for this monster show that you're listening to today. But this episode is free of charge. You got instead a little musical interlude from my man, Taylor Witt. Find him on Twitter at Taylor underscore Witt. Taylor, what's up, my sea shantying friend? Well, Mr. Real Bird Lawyer, uh, it is the moment we've all been waiting for. This is it. This is the, the pod before the Super Bowl, the, the eye of the storm. It's, it's about to shit's about to get real. Shit is about to get real. We have an amazing show, as always, of course, because the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl. Super Bowl 55 LV. 
we're not going to talk about the logos because, gosh, they're just terrible. Same logo as last year. Same logo for the last 10 years. Different Super Bowl, different matchup. We're going to talk about a little news, news, news first. Then we're going to get into a mailbag. We've got a couple of mailbag questions, just a couple, because we got we got some bigger and better things to worry about. No offense to our, our listeners who submitted those questions. We appreciate you, but we have... A roast. This is a segment that we've not done in a while, Taylor, but it's one of our signature segments. Um, we're going to roast the fuck out of the man that some people call the greatest of all time, Tom Brady himself. And then we're going to close it out with our game preview of the Super Bowl. Ah! Ah! So, Taylor, let's go into the news, 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 news. news. Uh, I want to lead off with some unrelated, not related to the Super Bowl news. And that is uh, trade season, question mark. So there was a major trade announced on Sunday. And it doesn't really have anything to do with the Chiefs. But it sort of has sparked a whole conversation, which we'll dive into in our million off-season episodes, where we're breaking down the back-to-back Super Bowl seasons. Mm. But the Rams traded for Jared, or they traded Jared Goff to the Detroit Lions for Matthew Stafford. And they also had to send along two first round picks and a third round pick. And now suddenly the news is starting to get a little hot. We knew Deshaun Watson was going to be on the block, maybe on the move, that he's requested a trade. Just in the last 24 hours, Taylor, we've heard that Derek Carr could maybe be on the block, that maybe some teams are interested, maybe that the Raiders are trying to pick up a couple first-round picks for Derek Carr, which Jesus. good luck to you there, guys. But I just wanted to throw I just wanted to throw this news item out here because, as you know, Taylor, I live in an enemy, an enemy media market, which is the, the Denver area. And for the last week leading up to this trade, uh, the talk was all about Matthew Stafford, right? Like, should the Broncos do it? Should they not do it? Who should they give up for him? You know, how good would the Broncos be with Matthew, Matthew Stafford's tone and so forth? And, and this dominated the conversation for a whole week. And then he got traded to the Rams. So you got to have something else to talk about. Uh, it's been all Deshaun Watson the last couple of days. We're recording this on a Wednesday, as usual. The last couple of days, it's been all Deshaun Watson. On my way home today, Taylor... The topic of conversation was, should the Broncos be interested in Derek Carr? (laughs) You can't make this stuff up. You really can't. And if you were not a fan of the team that has the greatest quarterback in the NFL and probably of all time, you couldn't envision this conversation and how it's going. Like they're, they're asking whether they should be going after another team in their own division sloppy seconds and he's not even good i mean we're talking about Derek carr here anyway that's neither here nor there we got to get into the super bowl news here taylor and that is going to start with the injury news so as of today wednesday before the super bowl everybody practiced for the chiefs except willie gay who unfortunately Mm. since the last time we're here on the podcast yeah Torres meniscus in practice. He's going to be out for the Super Bowl. Should make a full recovery before next season. A meniscus tear is something that a player definitely could come back from. Shouldn't have any lasting long-term consequences for him. But it sucks for the rookie. It definitely sucks for Willie. Uh, he's been obviously battling some stuff. The beginning of the year was more about playing time, you know, healthy playing time. And then he started having some injury bugs. And, you know, from a purely X's and O's standpoint, if you're going to lose a guy Super Bowl week, I guess it's the rookie that hasn't been playing the last few weeks and you've still been winning games without him. Like that's not, you know, worst case scenario by any means. Um, but it sucks for Willie. It's too bad he can't play in the game. Maybe next year he'll pull a Juan Thornhill and kind of level up right before the playoffs and, and mm. go go ham. Oh, I like that. We have another sad but 
unsurprising note in the injury news that of course is Eric Fisher. He did not practice this week. They haven't officially placed him on IR. I don't know if that's just kind of like a procedural thing. You know, I saw some speculation that maybe if you place a player on IR, they can't, or, or there's like, there's team uh, rules about traveling with the team or Uh. with being, you know, I don't know how involved Fisher wants to be with this process, but I think that if they IR him, maybe that's more of like a, all right, go home. We'll catch you in the off season. And, and that's maybe, a shitty thing to do for a guy. And for, exactly. And for your starting left tackle and for a clubhouse leader and all that stuff. So, I mean, I think that One of there's the longest senior players on the team. Absolutely. Too, so. And former number one overall pick, of course. So, you know, I think that there's a chance that they kind of like, if he can uh, crutch around on it or whatever he's been doing, then they might just be like, yeah, we'll just, it's one more game. We'll just keep him as one of our inactives for that game. And then he can still participate in all the, the Super Bowl stuff that he can. So that's just speculation. Obviously that hasn't been uh, confirmed by anyone with the chiefs, but it would make some sense. So it makes sense. And obviously I hope he gets to participate to the greatest extent allowable. And uh, it's obviously, it's a rough situation for him. We talked about it last week. The chiefs are going to have to make do with what they have. We'll talk about that in the game preview edition. But uh, fortunately, uh, there is still going to be a game. It sounds like the Chiefs are still going to play. We had a little bit of a scare today, Taylor. I got to <laughs> say, close shave. a close shave, as it were. That's a good one. That's good. Yeah, thanks. So the Chiefs were getting their their hairs cut in preparation for the Super Bowl. You got to look fly. You got to look dope on the yep. camera. And uh, part of the way through Kilgore's haircut, the barber found out that he tested positive for COVID. And so he put out a great tweet, uh, Daniel Kilgore did, of uh, a half-cut head. It was yes. clearly Photoshopped. I can't believe how many people <laughs> yeah. think that it's a real, like, they're uh, like, oh, you should wear that. Like, it, guys, the, mm. the hair is literally, like, it completely shopped off of his head, right? Like, right. it's an obvious Photoshop. But And it's also, like, the Casey Media Day picture of him that's, yeah, like, you know, just, like, all professional-looking. And, and it's directly down the center, which is not how – I mean, yeah, well, you know, people are dumb, so that's fine. Listen, it's very. It was a very funny tweet. Um, yes. Just poking fun at the fact that uh, you know his barber had to take off halfway through his haircut because he tested positive for COVID. He is on the close contacts list. He could still play if he is or if he does not test positive. So he's kind of in the quarantine right now. He's going to be testing. I think it would be Saturday would be the day that he would be cleared, and that's the day that the Chiefs are flying down to Tampa. So. Uh, close shave there, as you said. Uh, the Chiefs had several other players, including Patrick Mahomes, that were scheduled to get haircuts from the same barber, who had tested negative, by the way, five days in a row before he came in to cut the Chiefs' hair and then tested positive. So just goes to show this COVID thing. We're not out of the woods yet, but it seems like, fingers crossed, that we've, we've dodged a bullet here. Well, everyone was just trying to get the Patrick price. You know, you got to cut your hair like him to look to sure. get the Patrick Price. So you got to get the Patrick all Price. Yep. Man, how many State Farm commercials are we going to see on Sunday? Uh, probably, probably a lot. I mean, it's going to be. I always wonder though, like how they how they do those. You know, like obviously, yeah, like, like do they shoot them this week? You've, you've yeah, already, yeah. You've already obviously paid for the advertising slots, I would assume, but. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, did they just do like a Patrick Mahomes Super Bowl commercial before the season? Because he doesn't right. have time to film a commercial this week. No. Well, maybe he does. It's been I two weeks. Yeah, I don't know. He's he's busy. He's getting ready for the game. Then again, though, would he want to like get on a plane and fly to the studio? And I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I think that they would want to keep him in his bubble as much as possible. 
um, especially with COVID. So you're probably right. There probably won't be any new content, but they might have prepped something before the Super Bowl. I mean, obviously, they probably had to have something prepped if it was Aaron Rodgers versus Mahomes. So, sure. like, they probably I, already shot one. It's probably yeah. on the cutting room floor somewhere because, you know, Aaron <laughs> Rodgers. Along with Rodgers' career. Yeah. Boom, 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 womp, womp. So I do want to talk briefly about the bulletin board material for this game, Taylor. Sure. And there's been a couple. There's been a couple. This, this unfortunately, we talked about this a little bit last week. This is two years in a row that the Chiefs have been in the Super Bowl, and we've been deprived of a normal media week. Last year, it was because Kobe Bryant passed away mm. the, literally the, did the night before media night on the Super Bowl, the Sunday before Super Bowl media week kicked off that, that following day on Monday. And then obviously this year with COVID, I mean – you know, obviously everything's being done on Zoom. It's just a completely different kind of experience. But that doesn't mean that people aren't talking. And so let's start with Jason Pierre-Paul. Uh, Jason Pierre-Paul, obviously a defensive end for the Buccaneers. He was asked about the Chiefs offensive line situation. He said and asked about Mike Rimmer specifically, who obviously is going to be starting for the Chiefs at tackle. He said that he had not heard of him. He said, honestly, I don't know who that is. And cool. I mean – Okay, Jason Pierre-Paul, that's fine. Um, that seems unlikely. Maybe you fell asleep. Extremely the unlikely. Team, the team meetings, I don't know what it is. I don't really know what motivates players to give material like this. You would think that uh, you think that they would know better because, I, I don't know, if I'm Mike Remmers, I, I think I probably would take that personally, you know, yeah. throw his head on top of the Michael Jordan meme there. You know, Mike Remmers on the, <laughs> the Jordan head with the I took that personally. That, that'd you be like a meme Mike. that I'd like to see. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, Mike Remmers, Michael Jordan, you know, he kind of already, right? already did the flu game, you know, in the <laughs> Cleveland, the Cleveland game, but he's basically the same dude, same dude. Um, so that was, that was one of the first ones that kind of caught my eye. Um, did you catch any others that were worth talking about, worth bringing up? Well, obviously everyone's been talking about Scotty Miller and how he said that he, and I kind of gone back and forth on this. Um, he was asked if he would win in a race against Tyreek Hill. And he said, yes. He said, I, I have fully conf full confidence that I'm the fastest player in the NFL. Um, but he's been very complimentary of Tyreek and, you know, Tyreek said good for him. Hell of a player. We'll, we'll see basically. And um, I don't think it really bothers Tyreek when people say they're faster than him. And in fact, I think it probably like a lot of this bulletin board material, you know, he's just going to kind of, chalk that one up. And uh, he, he said that he would raise Scotty at halftime, which everyone laughed about because you could see one of them blowing their hamstrings. I mean, they'd never laugh, that's, but that's incredible. I mean, but it's, it's hilarious that he, you know, everyone was like, move over the weekend. We've got the halftime show right there. That would be, that would be something. But I thought that was pretty fun and entertaining um, little, little nugget there. Yeah, it was. And what made it especially fun and entertaining is the fact that Scotty Miller is in no way remotely comparable to Tyreek Hill in terms of speed. Uh, he, <laughs> I just want to pull up his 40 time here really quick. So he ran a 4.39 40 yard dash at his pro day. Mm -hmm. He was selected in the sixth round out of Bowling Green. And just so you know, Tyreek Hill, uh, he never ran an official 40. He was not invited to the combine. Um, but he has run in the past a 4.29, which is obviously substantially faster. And in fact, I think has unofficially run in the low four twos. I think I've even I thought it was four two four that he has run a four one nine at one point. Sick. I mean, like he, yeah. he just is ridiculous. And yeah. next gen sats came out today with some numbers on Tyree kill. And they now have the technology to be able to assess every player's speed on every different kind of route. 
Now, Austin, I heard speed has something to do with speed it. Speed has everything to do with it. So Tyree Kill, his speed on a corner route, 11.34 miles per hour. Now, this is his speed within one second. Okay, so within mm. one second of the snap. On a corner route, 11.34 miles per hour. On a post route, 11.15 miles per hour. On a go route, 10.69 miles per hour. On a cross, 10.59 miles per hour. Do you know where he ranked among all NFL wide receivers in each of those routes? (laughs) I do. (laughs) Number one in all four. It would be number one, number one, number one, and number one. He is the fastest player within one second. So we're not just talking about long speed. Yeah, this we're is talking burst. about We're talking about burst and long speed because he's also obviously insane when he gets into a second gear too. I mean, it's obviously, it's a it's a ludicrous situation. Um, but you know what, Scotty Miller, good good on you. Good, good for having confidence in yourself, I guess. Do you remember uh, that gap on the go route between he and second place? Of oh all gosh, four yes. of them, it was like he was 10, 6, 9, and I think the second place was under 10 so he literally is like almost a full three quarters of a mile an hour faster than number two on that route and the separation on all these is insane i it just it's it's ridiculous he's a freak of nature speaking of players that are confident in themselves though that brings us to our final piece of bulletin board material and it involves tyree kill because it involves the man who was tasked with guarding tyree kill in their last matchup Carlton Davis, a man who I had never heard of until Tyree Kill burned him for 200 yards and two touchdowns in one quarter of play back in week 12 when the Chiefs played the Buccaneers and beat them in Tampa. And Carlton Davis was asked, he obviously got a lot of questions about how the Bucs are going to match up this time, what they're going to do differently. And he just kind of said, I mean, he didn't throw out any specific shade, but he said that he was confident in himself. He was going to go out there and essentially, you know, he was going to play his game. He's going to, he's going to match up. He has total confidence. And, you know, I don't know if that's necessarily bulletin board material. I get that. Like, I mean, you know, what's he going to say? I get Tyreek right. Hill's going to fuck he's, me again. He's going like, to dust me. Yeah. He's yeah. going to totally dust me. No, of course he's not going to say that, but I was a little bit, I was a little bit surprised at how at how confident he presented just because, man, I, I posted the great sweating meme. That's one yes. from one of those Jordan Peele movies. Peele, uh, yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, that's what Carlton Davis had to be thinking when he saw the Chiefs advance to the Super Bowl. Right. Like this guy had he was receiving some pro bowl and all pro consideration from a lot of different sources pro football focus and this has to be i mean this was the worst day that he's ever had in his football playing life <laughs> and in his whole be. career yeah it absolutely has to be um and the other thing the mental gymnastics here you know he said after i believe it was after the tampa game the first time that the the one-on-one the trust that his defensive coordinator had and putting him one-on-one uh, it, it was was confidence building for him. He was like, they, they put me on the best wide receiver, you know, the fastest wide receiver one-on-one. And that, that says that they trust me and it means a lot to me. And everyone was like, uh, bro, <laughs> like that was the biggest, maybe X's and O's mistake outside of Greg Williams in the NFL this year. So um, yeah, not, not particularly effective strategy there. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see if he plays him at all for a snap one-on-one or if they just roll safety health and we'll talk a little bit more about the X's and O's, but that's going to be a fun matchup for sure. I want to talk very briefly about the weather. 
as we sit here on Wednesday, my uh, my brother-in-law is a meteorologist, so I can tell you with some confidence that uh, even professional weather people have a great deal of difficulty predicting weather five days in advance. I actually, uh, not to dig on my brother-in-law, but I have had him say before that it wasn't going to snow, and then we walked outside and it was snowing. So, you know, I, I'm not saying that they're witch doctors, but I am saying it's a it's an inexact science. So some might even call it a pseudoscience. But as of right now, as we said here recording this on a Wednesday evening, there is a 75% chance of rain on Sunday. Now, I don't know how much rain. I don't know when it's going to fall during the game. I don't know if it's even actually going to rain. But this is something that is worth mentioning because, you know, I've given this take before on the podcast. I've given it on Twitter. If you follow me there, I'm not a snow game guy. And I think the fact that the Super Bowl is almost always played in a dome or a warm weather city is a tacit admission that weather games are stupid. Mm-hmm. And it's the NFL acknowledging that weather shouldn't decide an important game or any game for that matter. And that's why the Super Bowl is always played in a city where weather is unlikely to be a determining factor. Now they gave New York one off the bat, which obviously is, you know, big it's mistake. A, it's a cold weather environment. It ended up being, fairly hospitable for New York in February. You know, mm-hmm. they just got 24 inches of snow. Imagine if that had been the Super Bowl right. back when they played that in New York. But right. this game is in Tampa and typically it does not rain there. Um, and it's going to rain. It's apparently is going to rain as of right now. So wh- what do you think about that, Taylor? Any any chance that affects the Chiefs? Um, yeah, I mean, it's got to it's got to affect some stuff. It's definitely a situation where the soggier and the heavier the rain is, if it's a light rain, then that doesn't matter. They'll, they'll you know, as as you tweeted today, Mahomes spins the shit in anything. So that'll be fine. Um, but if it's a heavy rain, if it's a thunderstorm and if it's, you know, really, really coming down. Um, first of all, that's just so disgusting for it to be the Super Bowl and for there to be uh, a heavy cool. rain. Like that would just be heartbreaking. But yeah, the the Chiefs are the team that um, is going to rely more on the passing game and more on um, kind of some stuff that is going to be a little bit murky if it's if it's rainy. Yeah, I think it slows the game down. It slows the pace down. It favors the Bucks. Um, but at the same time, uh, I just I I have so much confidence in the Chiefs' offense. Now the defense, I think would take a, a, you know, a boon there from the rain. So maybe it would end up, um, I was about to say washing out, but yeah, maybe it'll end up being, a, a, you know, an even split there. Obviously the Chiefs with their high powered offense and their emphasis on the pass, we'll talk about that when we get into the X's and O's, but you would think that if there's a heavy rain, that certainly would, would work against the Chiefs. The Chiefs are going to get bullied in this game, potentially in the trenches, their advantage is their speed and their firepower and their ability to pass the ball over the yard. So hopefully the rain stays away, or if it does come down, it's not going to have a major impact on the game. We can just keep our fingers crossed. That's going to kind of do it for the news, Taylor. I mean, there's, there's been a lot going on, but here we are, we're in Super Bowl week. So One game to go before we get into that, we got a couple of mailbag questions. We're going to start off with our guy, Parker Padgett. Ka-ka-ka! Hey, if you haven't recorded yet, I have a mailbag question. Let's say you and at Taylor Witt are in charge of hyping up the boys for the big game. What songs would each of you use and how would you get the team riled up? So your hype songs, Taylor, go, go ahead. Uh, so I was thinking that it kind of depends on um, how familiar the Chiefs players are with the history of the team, because my first thought was Gary Glitter. 
which, mm, you know, yeah, sure. it, it certainly would hype up any fan that's been watching the Chiefs for before the Mahomes era. Um, and I do think that the any of the players that kind of know the history of that song and all that, um, I would like them to kind of channel all of the the Chiefs, you know, energy from the past and and put that into this game. And I would want I would want rock and roll part two. That's what I would do. I love that choice, despite obviously the uh, the ominous uh, history of Gary Glitter. Yeah, he doesn't um, even get paid for the song anymore. I Fuck know Gary Con- Glitter, convicted sex pervert. Um, but it is a great song, and uh, you know it's made a comeback. It was in the Joker movie, so yeah. you know it's it's uh, it's good. Like you said, he doesn't get royalties for it. Um, I like that one a lot. I think that if it were just me, like if I'm if I'm picking a song to get me hyped up, that's probably oh, that's way different. different. <laughs> That's different than, than than what the boys would would listen to, but I've got a I've got a banger. I actually tweeted it out the other day because we were picking trial hype songs in the office, and uh, it's a cover of uh, an ABBA song called "The Winner Takes It All." You know, appropriate theme for the yeah. Super Bowl, right? Yeah. You know, it is. Except yeah. it's a heavy metal cover by a novelty band called Swedish Hits Plays Metal. It's literally a group <laughs> that was formed to make an album of Swedish metal covers of pop songs. It's incredible. Check it out on YouTube. It is a banger. It's got, it's just, it's it gets me fired up. It gets me going. All right. I'm going to be listening to that song to hype me up. And listen, I, I'm sure that like, I don't know how many players on the chiefs have listened to an ABBA song. Well, they're only four over 30. So probably not too many. And I doubt any of those have listened to a metal cover of an ABBA song, but that's what I pick. It gets me hyped every time. Uh, good question, Parker. I appreciate that. And then Brian West Hughes. Question for the pod. Since we were playing him, why did Tom Brady leave New England? If someone asked me that right now, I'd have to speculate. We will speculate as well because speculating is fun. I mean, I think the short answer, the easy answer is just like New England sucked and Tom Brady doesn't like to be on teams that suck, which we're going to talk about here in just a second in the Tom Brady roast. Yeah, he was uh, he was frustrated and they didn't have a lot of weapons around him. And when he doesn't have awesome weapons around him, he looks like a bad quarterback. And that was that was the case. Um, I also think that it was a bit of a bit of ego for him to see, like, if I leave Belichick and I go and I have success, like I have the leg up on him in our kind of in our big story. And I don't know. I, it just feels like this type of thing Tom Brady would do that. He knew he needed a tiebreaker over bill. And so he wanted to go get that. You know, what's going to be really funny. And I hope that it doesn't come to this because obviously we hope that the chiefs beat the hell out of Tom Brady this weekend. And Patrick Mahomes goes to two and zero in the super bowl and Brady falls to six and four, et cetera, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. But I was actually thinking about this this morning. You know, if, if Tom Brady left new England and went to a stacked team, and won a Super Bowl and, you know, kind of try to rub that in Belichick's face. What would stop Belichick from just leaving New England and going to a stack team and winning the Super Bowl? Like <laughs> he, he could just funny. peace out. He could be like, sorry, Robert Kraft. Like I'm leaving to go coach, you know, whoever I, the 49ers, I don't know the, the Colts, I, I don't know, somebody, somebody good, right? Like the, the Texans go, go stick him with Deshaun Watson down in Houston. I don't know. You know, maybe he could talk some sense back into Jack Easterby. I don't know. The point is if Tom Brady can do it, you know, it's a little bit unfair because he's a player, you know, he's a quarterback. He can kind of choose his destination, find a roster that suits him and is loaded with talent. Well, what's to prevent Bill Belichick from doing that? He could just, uh, he Coaches could just don't go, quit you know, very yeah. often, do they? 
They don't. They don't. But I'm just saying he has total control of that operation. And uh, if Tom wins on Sunday, maybe uh, maybe Bill will be on the move. Maybe he'll go take over. I don't know. Uh, the Panthers, uh, the Falcons. I don't know. I don't we'll know. we'll just, never have to see that alternate reality because he ain't winning on Sunday. But that is a very good point. And that brings us, Taylor, to a signature segment of ours. And I can pretty much promise our listeners that this is content that you're not going to find anywhere else. You're going to find plenty of podcasts and articles and tweets and whatever that are breaking down the X's and O's of this game. We're going to do that, too, because, you know, that's it's part of what we do here on this show. We try to bring you some informed content, some factual stuff. But we also like to have fun on this show. And one of our signature segments is The Roast. We kicked off our very first episode ever with a roast of John Elway. We absolutely slayed him. It was one of our most popular segments of all time. We peaked early. <laughs> well, now, Taylor, we're going to peak again. And we peak, they're going to feel it. All of our listeners are going to feel it. We're going to roast Thomas Brady himself. And I don't know, do, do you want to start with the roast? Do you want to start throwing the zingers or do you, or do you want me to start? I think you kind of lay the groundwork for Tom Brady as a person, and then I'll get into Tom Brady as a quarterback. And then you'll just really will give it to him with both barrels. <laughs> That's right. So I got the easy half of this roast because Tom Brady as a person is extremely roastable. And in fact, when we sat down to, to game plan for this episode, you know, I was like, I don't, I don't really know what angles to take with respect to him as a football player because, you know, he's he's accomplished a lot. Now you're going to just you're gonna wait, get buddy. into that. Yeah, just do it. I'm I, I'm on the edge of my seat, but I got to tell you, I got some things to say about Tom Brady, the person. Okay, let's start with Tom Brady, two-time Super Bowl champion back in 2004. He's dating Bridget Moynihan. I don't know if you remember Bridget Moynihan, but, you know, successful actress, good looking. Uh, 2004 to late 2006, Tom Brady's dating Bridget Moynihan. Many people would be would be happy with Bridget Moynihan. Okay, like that's that's a very good get. Okay, so he gets her pregnant. Okay, in sometime before December of 2006, he breaks up with her while she's pregnant with his baby, okay, mm. so that he can start dating Giselle Bunchen, who he later marries. And that's a pretty shitty thing to do, right? Okay, so yep. not off to a great start, Tom Brady. This this is early career Tom Brady. This is even before he got really big, right? I want to talk about his his food habits, right? So, you you probably know Taylor that he runs a, a fitness scam like a, a reverse funnel system called <laughs> TB12, which among other things, uh, it it advocates drinking half your weight in water, half in, your weight in a day. So, so they, something physically impossible. I, he's listed at 225 pounds. So if you had to drink half your weight in water, he'd have to drink 112 and a half pounds of water a day. <laughs> it's obviously impossible. Like that, that can't be done. No. But he does say that he drinks over 200 ounces of water a day, which is 12 and a half pounds of water. Jeez. That's not half his body weight, but that's an outrageous amount of water. 12 and a half pounds of water a day. He's a hundred pounds short. <laughs> it's, he's a hundred pounds short. But he's still drinking 12 and a half pounds of water a day. It's absolutely outrageous. So this is something that I pulled directly from the Wikipedia. These are the foods that he doesn't eat. Okay. I'm I'm just going to, I'm just going to read these off for you. Most fruits, mushrooms, tomatoes, peppers, eggplants, coffee, Gatorade, white sugar, flour, gluten, dairy, soda, cereal, white rice, potatoes, and bread. Literally what's left. I'm not a nutritionist, Taylor, 
But those things don't appear to have anything in common other than that they're like normal food and drinks that Tom Brady does not put in his body because of some weird junk science that he's been taught to believe, right? Like it just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. It, do, it doesn't make any sense. Like, what is it about coffee? Like, is it the caffeine? I, it, I, I don't know what it is. The, the cereal, cereal, like what, what's wrong with that? The gluten, it actually reminds me of that scene in uh gosh that seth rogan movie um with the apocalypse oh my gosh oh this is the end yeah this is the end where they're you know uh, jay baruchel goes out to la and yeah exactly he's like i'm doing this this cleanse and i don't eat glutens he's (laughs) like he's like it's just a generic term for anything that's bad for you (laughs) i feel like that's the whole basis of the tb12 method okay that's it's just so we got to roll into Taylor, his choice in relationships here. Right. Okay. Okay. And, and this is just, let's start with Donald Trump. Okay. Sure. I, if you follow either of us on Twitter, I think your, your understanding of our political views and our stance on Donald Trump is well known. I don't want to get into the politics of it, but even if you support Donald Trump politically, like 95% of the people that support Donald Trump realize that he's a piece of shit person, right? Sure. Like, like everybody that's ever defended Donald Trump is like, well, I know that he's racist and he talks very crudely and he's unspeakably crass, <laughs> but you know, like I don't believe in abortion and I wanted to appoint some right wing nut jobs to the Supreme court. So I'm going to vote for him anyway. Right. Like Tom Brady had a MAGA hat in his locker. Okay. And he's asked about it. And this is what he said, Taylor. He said, political support is totally different than the support of a friend. <laughs> And he's right, Taylor. It's yeah. worse. Way worse. It's so much worse to be like, well, I don't support Trump politically, but I think he's a swell guy and yep. I like hanging out with them. Right. Like yep. that is nonsense. OK, it just doesn't make any sense at all. Like if he said I'm raised Catholic, which he was, I'm pro-life, which he probably is. And that's why I decided to politically support Donald Trump. I don't agree with the things that he says because he's a crass asshole, <laughs> but I support him politically. I voted for him. That's not what he said. Nope. He said, I don't care about the politics. He's, He's my buddy. Dude. I, yeah. It's just, okay. So that rolls us into Antonio Brown, ah. uh, who like Donald Trump accused of sexual assault by multiple women. Okay. He, uh, he pled no contest to a fel- felony battery for assaulting a moving truck driver. That was, that was, uh, that was, um, let me just check my notes here. That was 13 months ago. Jeez. He, he pled no contest to a felony. Okay, he's an insane person. I don't know if you caught any of his presser today, but he believes that he's the victim. Uh, It it was the the ramblings of a madman. Tom Brady not only supported him through all of this, he actually convinced the Buccaneers to sign him so that he could have more weapons so that he could he could win this ring. Right. And I believe he was pissed at the Patriots for cutting him. He was. Of course he was. Of course. How could he not be? Because he's like, yes, I got Antonio Brown. I need Antonio Brown to beat Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs. And then they're like, ooh, but he probably raped somebody. And he's a psycho who, you know, froze off of his feet and it just uh, made a cool hype video with John Gruden that he secretly recorded. God, it was I, so good. It was so good. It was a great video. It was one of the one of the great videos of 2020. Um, that brings us to our final quack relationship with Tom Brady's and that's Alex Guerrero who is the quack trainer who helps him run TB12. So 
Alex Guerrero, Taylor, in 2005, this is early career Alex Guerrero with Tom Brady, you know, back back in the two Brady Super Bowl year. This would have been Super Bowl number three that he was kind of rolling into. He was sanctioned by the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, for falsely presenting himself as a doctor. He's not. And claiming to be able to cure. Hold on. Wait for it. Claiming to be able to cure cancer, AIDS, multiple sclerosis heart disease, diabetes, arthritis, and Parkinson's disease using a dietary supplement called Supreme Greens. Oh, no. That's just weed. He just smoked a bunch of weed. It's literally the plot of the episode of Always Sunny where P. Diddy plays Dr. Jinx. That's the name of a monkey, not a man. That's the name of a monkey, not a man. And he's actually the church gardener, and he just sprays miracle Grow on Mac's arm to try and get the eczema to go away. It's literally like, you know, He's trying to he's claiming to click, cure cancer with plants. Okay, that's literally a joke episode of Always Sunny. He also had a product later called NeuroSafe, which actually was uh, was hawked by uh, Wes Welker among other people, hmm. which he said prevented football players from getting concussions. What? what? Yeah. He, so he, he sold I, helmets. He said, "I can cure concussions. You, you, you're not going to get any brain damage if you take quack. this product called NeuroSafe." Yeah, he should be in prison, but instead, he's helping Tom Brady run a business. Which, by the way, this brings me to my final point, and then I will yield to hear you roast Tom Brady, the football player. Tom Brady's made 350 million dollars, Taylor, in his career in salary. Okay, who knows how much else he's getting under the table? You know, handies from Robert Kraft. Okay, mm-hmm. his quack company, TB12, the Russians who have one of Robert Kraft's Super Bowl rings, you know, Vladimir Putin, definitely supporting the Patriots behind the scenes, probably still a Tom Brady fan. I mean, Tampa, that is, that is just loaded with Russian mobsters. Okay. You know, his wife, Tom Brady's wife is worth $400 million. Okay. Just, just by herself, Giselle. And yet in the height of a global pandemic that has killed over 400,000 Americans, TB12, Tom Brady's company, applied for and received almost $1 million in federal bailout money during COVID. That's the kind of person that Tom Brady is taking a PPE loan from the government for his business. When he's worth half a billion dollars, he and his wife together are probably worth almost a billion dollars. Let's be real. We got $750 million just in known salary from Brady and Giselle's net worth. Come on. I mean, he's got to have like a billion dollars stashed away with his investments, with his business, and he took a bailout from the government. He's a reprehensible person, Taylor. And tell me about what a reprehensible football player he is. Gladly, Austin. So first of all, we have to wade first into the waters that are both person and quarterback. So there are okay. there are two main events in Tom Brady's quarterback life that um, have happened that have put a stain on his legacy. Sure. Both those events and in the word gate, thanks Watergate. And of course, I'm talking about Spygate and Deflategate. So before we really dive into the quarterback, Tom Brady, I just want to point out once again that this man has been involved in two cheating scandals that we know of in the NFL where he was he was trying to get any advantage that he could, including things that were completely against the rules and, and not not above board in any way. So that both helped him. That both proves how shitty of a person he is and helped him on the field as a quarterback. So that's a double strike for him. It checks out. It's a it double checks out. It's just not, it's not a good look for a guy trying to claim that he's the goat if he cheats twice. And 
of course we remember the whole thing in Cleveland with taping their signals and all that stuff. I mean, it's just, it's a bad, it's a bad yeah, situation cheating against the Bengals. Come on. <laughs> exactly. So then now it brings me to the quarterback and what I, what I chose to focus on for this are the nine previous times that Tom Brady has made it to the Super Bowl. So obviously in a 20 year career, there are 11 years in there that he didn't make it to the Super Bowl. Um, not really going to focus on those. He is the same guy regardless, but I just want to talk about uh, his performance in the playoffs and specifically in the Super Bowl. And then the confluence of events that led to each of these appearances, because frankly, it's all bullshit. And I, I just, the more I think about each one of these years, the more angry that I become. So yeah, I'm getting angry. Just, just thinking uh, about it's, it. it's a bad sitch. So let's start with, I'm going to start with the first Super Bowl, Super Bowl 36 against the St. Louis Rams and leading up to this game. So we're going to do the, the two games that came into this. First of all, the divisional game, his first ever career playoff game was the tuck rule was the Oakland um, sacked him on the game tying drive. And for some reason, idiots thought that that ball was tucked in and therefore not a fumble and they called it an incomplete pass. Totally wrong. Totally bullshit. Completely bailed out. Vinatieri hits the game-tying field goal, hits the game-winning field goal in overtime, and the Patriots win Tom Brady's first-ever playoff game. So, you know, whatever bullshit there. And then he got knocked out of his first AFC championship game after scoring zero points on offense. Drew Bledsoe comes in and leads the win, and he gets to the Super Bowl. And then he's named the starter against the Rams, and this Rams team – that was absolutely loaded on offense. They averaged yes. 31.4 points per game. This was the height of the greatest show on turf. This was Kurt Warner and all the boys doing what they do. And the Patriots defense holds them to 17 points. And they they just, the, the defense completely held Tom Brady up. Tom Brady only passed for 145 yards that game. And Vinatieri kicks a game-winning field goal, and Brady wins his first Super Bowl. Complete game management, completely not at all. Um, you know, the, they held the Rams 14 points under what they scored yeah, average that's, per game. That's a Belichick win. Exactly. Belichick, defense, not Brady. So that's the first year. Then he goes back two years later in Super Bowl 38 against Carolina. And in order to get to that game in the divisional round against the Titans, it's tied at 14 in the fourth quarter. The Titans punt. The game is tied at 14 in the fourth 14 quarter. in the fourth Man, quarter. Because football he's a back game then manager. was real crude. <laughs> real crude. So the Titans punt from their own 17-yard line, but they only get the punt back to their 40. So Brady takes over from the 40 already and only needing a game-winning field goal, and he goes 13 yards, and then Vinatieri kicks the game winner. That's against the Titans in the divisional Ridiculous. Round. And then in the AFC Championship game against Peyton Manning and the Colts, so they beat the Colts 24-14 by only scoring one offensive touchdown along with five Adam Vinatieri field goals and a safety. And the Colts had five turnovers. Oh, my so, God. That's almost that's almost like a 19 right there. Four field goals, one uh, offensive touchdown. It plus was five field goals. Five but yes, field goals. They yes, tacked yes, on an yes. extra field goal. And exactly. So they scored 24, but they but it was just the most insane. They had one offensive touchdown. It was, Their field goal to touchdown ratio was a 5.0. That is, that is very <laughs> yep. bad. Yep, exactly right. So that was how they got to the game against the Panthers. A 32-29 final where after the Panthers tied up the game at 29, they kicked the ball out of bounds on the opening kickoff. 
And so Brady took over from the 40 and that's all. I mean, you know, he goes 23 yards and kicks the game winning field goal and gets Britain Vinatieri to kick the game winning field goal. So he's now gone to two Super Bowls and is on the sidelines where Vinatieri is deciding the game in both. of them. So that's a great start to his um, to his little run here. Then the very next year. So the playoffs start. And they go against the number one scoring offense in the Colts. Once again, the Colts are scoring 33 points a game. Do you, do you happen to know how many points the Colts would have scored in this game? Uh, I actually, I actually might remember this. I I've looked at this before. Was it three? It was three. It was 20 to three. Good pull. Good pull. So, you know, that has scored 30 points under their season average. Yeah. 30 under their season average. Correct. Yes, yes, yes. So they come in as one of the all time best offenses and the Patriots defense holds them to three points. Uh, New England threw for 144 yards. Tom Brady threw for 144 yards that game, but the team ran for 210 and they won the turnover battle three to nothing. So Jeez. good job, Tom Brady. So then in the next round, they beat the Steelers 41 27. They had two rushing touchdowns, two field goals, and a pick six. So Brady <laughs> threw for 207 yards and New England won that turnover battle four to nothing. Jeez. So just not doing a damn thing. And then they face our boy, Andy Reid going for back-to-back Super Bowls. And it, it was another one of those cases where I, I love the guy, but Andy barfed the, the time management. He absolutely yeah. did. This is where he became known as the guy that barfed the time management. They, yeah. you know, the Eagles took back over the ball. They were down 10 with like six minutes to go. And they took like four minutes off the clock to finally try and score and then when they got the ball back, uh, there was, it was too late. And they, they burned like 38 seconds on one play with 50 to go. I mean, it was just a really, really bad, bad look for the Eagles. So once again, yeah, Donovan McNabb threw three interceptions in that game, three interceptions in that game. He threw an interception on the final drive that would have won the game. There was not much time left for sacks. I mean, we can't, can't blame Andy for that. <laughs> no, we can't blame Andy for that. And honestly, like that's just the, that's so that's the third ring. So that's, that's Tom Brady. Three out of four years. Now we get into three years later. He's back. He's he's going to the Super Bowl again. And in order to get there again, he starts off, and his first opponent is David Garrard and the eleven and five Jaguars. And so they beat the Jaguars 31-20 in probably Brady's best playoff game. He was twenty six of twenty eight, two hundred sixty three yards, three touchdowns, no picks. Actually, looks like a really good quarterback in that, which is amazing. So then they play the chargers the next round in the AFC championship game and poor Marty, may he um, battle through this, you know, he was put in hospice today and that was uh, sad, sad. And hopefully that uh, chiefs will keep him in their thoughts as they play the super bowl this week. But Marty's chargers were held to four field goals and despite Brady throwing three interceptions in this game, the chargers kicked field goals from the New England 8, the New England 5, the New England 22, and the New England 6. Three of them inside the 10 and one from the 22. Now, and This was in 2007, right? This was in 2007. That's correct. Uh, Philip Rivers was playing on a torn ACL in this game. Was he he was playing on a torn ACL in this game. That's oh absolutely right. So, you know, and they got that close. They still got four drives that were down absolutely within range. And the Chargers punted on 4th and 10 from the 36. Oh my down God. nine points with what nine was, minutes to go in the game. Well, 15 years ago. Had just... So, so let me down nine with nine to go from the 36 and they punted on fourth and 10 
and then they never got the ball back. So Brady ended the game with a nine minute, 15 play drive where he threw four passes and the rest were runs. So that's how he got to the Super Bowl against Eli. We all obviously remember the 17 to 14 defeat by the New York Giants. Spags, bless up. Very thankful for him. Yeah, I um, wanted to shout this out, by the way, not to interrupt your flow here, good, but uh, we did not draft Spags versus Brady rematch in the narratives last oh, week. Oh, you're and right. And that, that was a huge should oversight. Have, should that, have been that in one, there. Absolutely. That one you're should right. have been. That, that could have been like a top six or seven <laughs> pick right there. Uh, it probably would have been better if Spags was also there for the next Giants Super Bowl, but uh, even the one of defeating the 18 no Patriots was yeah. to where. We'll so this Patriots points. team came in averaging 36.8 points a game. And they only Most scored NFL history. Uh, yeah, and they only scored 14 against the Giants. And obviously that is a mega, mega failure on Brady's part. He got nothing going all game long. Um, just just a really, really poor performance. He only threw for 266 yards and never really never really stood a chance in that one. So that was uh the loss. So that was he's now three and one in the Super Bowl. He goes back four Super Bowls later against the Giants, Super Bowl 46. And this is the one, um, this is a 20, 2011 Super Bowl. And it starts off, he gets Tim Tebow and the Broncos in the divisional round. And Jeez. Tim Tebow goes nine for 26 for 136 yards and took five sacks. So, yeah, Brady had his most prolific output um, in his playoff career. He actually tossed six touchdowns in this game. But it was 14 nothing after the first quarter. The Broncos were completely shut down. No, I mean, he was just playing pitch and catch out there. There was no battle in this game at all. So that was, um, it was like 45-10, I think was the final on that one. And then he gets Flacco's Ravens in the AFC Championship game. And the Ravens, uh, so Brady threw for 239 yards, no touchdowns, two picks. And the New England won the turnover battle three to one in that game. But the Patriots were up three with 11 minutes left. Flacco throws a pick. Brady's very next pass is picked off. And with three minutes to go down three from the new England 33, the Ravens go for fourth and six, instead of kicking a 50 yard game tying field goal, they don't get it. Patriots take over with two forty six, but Tom can't close it out this time. He only gets it down to a minute 53 because of the two minute warning. And, and so then he punts it back with a minute 53 and God damn it, on fourth and one from the New England 14, Billy Cundiff lines up to kick a 32-yard field goal to Kid. tie the AFC Championship game and miss this thing by a mile. He absolutely hooks a 32-yard field goal as wide as I've ever seen a kick hooked in my entire life. So that's how he gets to the Super Bowl. Just absolute gifts throughout this entire run. And then that's the second Eli Manning over uh, Brady Super Bowl in that one. He only throws for 276 yards in that game. Um, and by the way, the Ravens, the very next year, that was the start of the Justin Tucker era. It was. Like, Bill, that was like, the last boy, time Billy, Billy kind, kind of, of yep, get yep. the fuck out of here. Exactly, yes. Uh, Justin Tucker never would have shanked a 32-yarder uh, to, to tie the AFC Championship game. So then, of course, in that Super Bowl, they've got the Mario Manningham play and all the, you know, the craziness that goes on there. Giants beat him 21-17. Um, Brady doesn't get it done again against Eli and the Giants. He is now 3-2 and two in the Super Bowl, but he'll be back. So then, three Super Bowls later, we've got Super Bowl 49. Before he gets to Super Bowl 49, the division round against Baltimore was 
where the Patriots pulled off some of their more devious trickery. They brought in receivers and reported those receivers as an oh, I remember this game. And so anybody that was lined up against those receivers, they thought they were covering them. They weren't paying attention to who was eligible or not. And just completely caused confusion among one of the best defenses in the NFL at that time in the Ravens. There was a trick play touchdown from Edelman to Amendola. Flacco threw two fourth quarter picks, including one on second and five from the 36 with a minute 46 to go down four. So they were driving. If they would have scored the touchdown, they would have beaten them. But Flacco throws a pick. Um, so that was the gift in the divisional round. And of course, the AFC championship game that year was the aforementioned deflate gate from earlier where the Patriots manhandled the, the Colts, but they did it in devious fashion. So the Patriots were really all over the cheating methods that year. That was, uh, that was some sneakery. And then of course, who can forget second and goal from the one 10 seconds left yeah. Marshawn Lynch running all over the field, but instead Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson drop back, throw a pass. Malcolm Butler ends the Super Bowl with, which absolutely was about to be, Brady's third consecutive Super Bowl loss and would have dropped him to three and three in the Super Bowl. But instead, he's sitting on the sideline once again as his team wins the Super Bowl, just like and he's always doing. Pete so, Carroll has never called a pass play again. <laughs> Pete Carroll, was, man. That, that was, was the last time Pete Carroll ever let his quarterback pass. Yes, exactly. No more cooking at all for Russ after that play. So that was his uh, sixth appearance in, in the big game. He has three left. We're going to go two years later, fast forward to Super Bowl 51. To get to Super Bowl 51, he faces known quarterback, known great quarterback Brock Osweiler and the Houston Texans in the divisional <laughs> oh round. God. Brady throws three picks in this game, but Deion Lewis has a kickoff return for a touchdown, a rushing touchdown, and a receiving touchdown. So it was the Deion Lewis game. And Brock Osweiler also threw three picks. So Brady's quarterback rating was 68.6. Almost nice. Very, very close to nice. But and Osweiler. If you're wondering how the Brock Osweiler-led Texans made it to the second round of the playoffs, <laughs> it's because they played the Oakland Raiders, who I think were quarterbacked by Matt McGloin, were they not? He was uh, maybe filling man. in for... Carr had the injured back, but I don't remember who the quarterback was. The Raiders in that game were quarterbacked by Connor Cook. Connor Cook. There Connor Cook lost to the to the Brock Osweiler led Houston Texans 27-14. He threw 45 times for 161 yards. Oh my god. With three picks. That's got to be one of the lowest yards per attempt in playoff history. That's it's terrible. Gotta be. So Brady's quarterback rating was 68.6, but Osweiler countered with a 47.6 quarterback rating in this game. So that was uh, Brady took over actually at the Houston six yard line after an Osweiler interception, handed it off to Deion Lewis for the game ceiling touchdown. So that was just a complete two quarterbacks that had no idea what they were doing. And of course, in the AFC championship game this year, Pittsburgh, they punted twice on in new England territory, once from the new England 39 and once from the new England 44, and they kicked a field goal from the new England five. So the Steelers lose the turnover battle two to nothing and get blown out in the game because they were completely conservative and, and called terrible plays. So AFC championship game, they defeat the Steelers. They go on and they play the Atlanta Falcons. Of course, everyone knows this game. Um, I, I'm not going to give Brady a lot of crap for coming back against the Falcons. I will give him crap for being down 28, three at one point, including a really bad pick six that he threw yeah. um, and didn't get anything going on offense, punted a bunch, just had a really, really, really poor showing at the beginning. But 
the Falcons ended that game punting on every drive and just never couldn't get anything going against that New England defense after the big start. And of course, Brady gets the ball in overtime. And for the second time out of three playoff overtime games, he gets the ball first and the other team never sees the field because he scores a touchdown against Atlanta, wins the game 34-28, wins his fourth super, fifth Super Bowl. So the very next year, we've got Super Bowl 52 against the Eagles. But before he gets there, he has to play Mariota's Titans. And of course, Mariota's Titans are there after defeating the Chiefs, but they did not have any more magic. After that previous game, Mariota didn't throw a touchdown to himself in this game. He didn't get bailed out on a bad forward progress call, and he got properly blown out this time. So seven of the 10 Titans possessions ended in a punt, and they had a failed fourth down. So they only had two possessions that were um, – and they had a field goal attempt and a touchdown. They were terrible. Uh, the height of the – so that was the first round. And then the second round, the very height of that Jaguars defensive dominance that we all remember with – Ramsey and Campbell and and all the guys up and down the field and Gawkway, they were in the AFC championship game at, with Blake Bortles at quarterback. And they were up 20 to 10 going into the fourth quarter. I remember with a great defense, the Jags had the ball with 1337 on the clock and they went three and out in a minute. And then the Patriots scored and then they went five and out in two minutes and then the Patriots scored and then they went three and out in 43 seconds. So the Jaguars offense completely collapsed against that Patriots defense Bortles checks down on third and 19 with the game on the line for four yards and then turns it over on fourth down and the Patriots go back to the Super Bowl. Obviously the Super Bowl against the Eagles was one to remember. Um, it was a huge output from off uh, from the offensive perspective. Tom Brady threw for 500 yards and three touchdowns, but when it all came down to it, he got strip sacked. He got the ball back with a minute left and he could have, done Tom Brady stuff and driven down the field. Everyone said, you don't want to give Tom Brady the ball down a minute in the Super Bowl, but that's exactly what happened. And he couldn't come through. He got strip sacked. Eagles won the game. Nick Foles. And one of the biggest upsets in Super Bowl history. I mean, absolutely. But Nick Foles against Tom Brady. I mean, for as Backup good as quarterback he is, I mean, we're talking about Tom Brady losing probably two of the five biggest Super Bowl upsets of all time, right? I mean, with the got to be with the Giants one. I'm talking about the Giants and the 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 Eagles game. I mean, yes. they both got to be in the top five biggest upsets in Super Bowl history. I would agree with that. That it was absolutely they shouldn't have they they shouldn't have been playing with them. That was. That was a bad, bad look, bad look to lose that game. Tom obviously dropped the pass attempt, the trick play pass attempt that yeah. would have, oh for um, one. What would have sealed it oh, oh for one and receiving. Yep. So that was a bad look by Tom. He does get to go back to the Super Bowl the very next year for the third year in a row. And to get to this one, he started off the playoffs. The, the defense ate Phillip Rivers for lunch. So the Chargers tried that bullshit 6DB look that worked really well on Lamar the week before, and they beat him. And Brady just tore it apart. It was, it was the worst defensive game plan I've ever seen in a playoff game. They scored – they had 35 points at halftime. It was just such a mind-numbing – dumb play by the Chargers. I mean, they decided they were going to run a cool scheme against Lamar Jackson and it worked. And they were like, what if we do that against Tom Brady? <laughs> exactly like Lamar Jackson. He's yep. same, yep. same dude, right? Same dude, same dude. And then in the championship game, we all remember that game. I will not rehash it, um, but obviously blew a big lead and um, got the D ball Ford. first, got the ball first in overtime after D Ford, you know? Yeah. And then, other team never saw the field and gets the Super Bowl. And then he plays the 
high-flying 33 points a game Rams. 33 points a game. They they beat the Chiefs 54-51 this year. Yep. And instead, they score three points. The Rams sure. score three points. And the Patriots get a complete gift and win his sixth Lombardi. So that was every single run to the Super Bowl in his career. And basically it was all complete bullshit. It was all other people around him. It was all his defense. It was all the opponents being completely terrible at the worst possible time. He has of his nine Super Bowls of in those games, in the actual Super Bowls, only three of them, the Patriots scored above their season average. So only three of them, he even had an above average game. The Atlanta game where they scored 34 was six points above their average. The Eagles game, which was one of the most offensive that was games in, in NFL history. And the Atlanta game was an overtime, exactly. Uh, the Eagles game, they scored 33, which was four over their average. And then the Carolina game was 32-29, which the Patriots that year only averaged 21 points a game. So that was... 10 over their average every other Super Bowl, including scoring 22 below their average and 15 below their average in their two giants losses are a below average output. Now, conversely, the defense, the defense only allowed opponents to score above their season average two times in the Super Bowl. So they completely shut down the, uh, the opponent offenses while the, while the Patriots offenses fell down to that level as well. Brady doesn't, he, he doesn't rise to the occasion. He has a 95.6 career rating in the, in the Super Bowl and a 97.3 outside of the Super Bowl. So he gets worse as a career, as a, as a passer in the big game. And all of these narratives that say that he is the, the comeback King, like he gets the ball at the 40 goes 13 yards. Vinatieri <laughs> kicks the game winning field goal. And he's the comeback King. It's just, it's just preposterous. It's not reality. It's not the way that these games have played out. These games have played out to where he has managed his team and his defense has gone out there and kicked the shit out of the other team and won the game. Fuck Tom Brady. Yep. You said it, man. It's not going to happen this week, though. It's definitely not going to happen this week. It is. It, it, this is the other thing is that these other teams are not helmed by Patrick Mahomes and he is immune to all of this bullshit and it doesn't matter that he has no offensive line. He is going to go out there and he's going to, he's going to do it. So let's get into our game preview, right? Let's do it. Preview let's do the it. Super Bowl, baby. So the way I want to break this down is let's talk about what's the game's going to look like when the chiefs have the ball, what it's going to look like when the bucks have the ball Then we can kind of talk about special teams, X factors. And then of course, as always, we'll close with our predictions which have been, uh, you know, they've, they've a little been, spotty. They've been a little <laughs> spotty, but but they've been fine. They've been fine. Uh, let's start with when the Chiefs pass pass the. Or I say when the Chiefs pass the ball. I meant to say when the Chiefs have the ball. Sure, same but thing. What I meant to say was when the Chiefs have the ball, they should pass. That's that's what we're looking at here. This obviously involves the the premier matchup of the game that everybody's talking about, which is the Chiefs' offensive line against the Buccaneers defensive line and the Buccaneers defense and the Chiefs offensive line, obviously they're missing four starters um, that they should have had before the season, including both of their tackles, Mitchell Swartz and Eric Fisher, both out in this game. And the Buccaneers have a fierce defensive line, uh, obviously with Vita Vea and uh, Jason Pierre-Paul, all these players, um, of course, Shaq Barrett, they've got guys that can bring pressure and the Chiefs, 
in this game, I know it might seem a little bit counterintuitive, maybe, you know, like you've, you've got an offensive line that's kind of banged up. I think the chiefs need to pass. And I think they just need to pass often. They need to pass early and they just need to pass, 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 pass until they win this game. I, I think for me, Taylor, the, the thing to watch here is very similar to last year and mm-hmm. the chiefs were facing. Now they, they did have obviously both of their great tackles Fisher and Schwartz last year against the 49ers, but they were going against a better 49ers defense, probably sure. a fairly sim, uh, fairly comparable defensive front, but the 49ers had a much better secondary than the Buccaneers are presenting with this year. Something that stuck out kind of in the, the previews of that game leading up to that game was, you know, pass rush is great, but pass rush gets tired. Those guys rushing the passer on every snap, that's very physically taxing. It's exhausting. Mm-hmm. And if you're relying on a pass rush to get you through an entire game and only on a pass rush, if that's how you're trying to win the game on defense, those guys are going to get tired. They're going to lose effectiveness as the game goes on. And that's exactly what happened to the 49ers last year in the fourth quarter with the Chiefs obviously down 20 to 10 and Patrick Mahomes throwing his second interception. When the Chiefs got the ball back, they scored three straight touchdowns on that 49er defense, and they ended up winning the game by 11 points. This game, I think, presents a similar opportunity for the Chiefs to pass the ball early and often and give themselves a chance to just overwhelm this pass rush in the second half and particularly in the fourth quarter just by tiring them out, just by a war of attrition. And on the flip side, why would the chiefs run the ball? I mean, (laughs) this is, this is a team that is extremely good against the run. The chiefs are not, I mean, they're not bad at running the ball, but they're not amazing at running the ball. I, I, the chiefs just need to go. I know I 80% pass in this game, 75% pass in this game. I think that's the key for the chiefs. It a hundred percent is. And really that's the key to any NFL team winning these days. It's true. You know, if you run less, you win more, but to dive into it a little bit more, you know, the chiefs have the best player on the planet and you have to keep the ball in his hand. He has to decide these games. If it's a third and six and they want to hand it off to Clyde or Le'Veon Bell or Daryl Williams or whoever, you are taking the, the, the game out of Patrick Mahomes hands. And that is just not then you're becoming a normal everyday football team instead of one of the greatest of all time. And the other thing is the chiefs offense, like when Patrick Mahomes is running around, the pass rush is way more exhausted than if it was Tom Brady in the pocket. That's just standing there and they just have to get one yard in and get him. Like he is hard to bring down and hard to get to. And, and he's going to be rolling and scrambling and dropping back 15 yards and doing all this stuff that not. So the pass rush is going to be tired because of Mahomes also. And then you factor in, the the pre-snap motion and the play action and all the window dressing that the Chiefs offense pulls off. So the Chiefs threw 125 passes this year that were both pre-snap and play action. So they had somebody moving before the snap and then they faked a handoff, which was the most in the NFL. And it was the fourth highest rate of all passes in the NFL. And when they used motion and play action, the offense was also fourth in success rate. So the more they did it a ton and they were extremely successful at it. And then when you go on the other side, so this is all via Warren Sharp, who is fantastic at the numbers and the figures. Uh, when facing pre-snap motion and play action, the Bucks defense 
is 24th in success rate. So it's something that it's strength on weakness, which the Chiefs absolutely need to be exploiting that as much as they possibly can. Not a single team in the playoffs so far used used pre-snap and play action against the Bucks on a single play. Zero. Despite the, Bucks, despite the Bucks being 24th in success rate against that type of play, neither the the football team or the Packers or the Saints did a single play like that. That's obviously with the rate that the Chiefs do that. That's going to play a huge factor here. So that matchup, I'm really, really interested to see how Andy dresses plays up and, and how creative they get. You know, he said earlier, uh, must have been today or yesterday, that there aren't any special plays designed for the Super Bowl. Well, that's because they've had them. I, I, I was this huge. Yeah, they're not this. special. They've had yeah, them in the in special. the playoff in the book the whole year. Like they're not special, but they yeah, I, are still going to be freaking hard to stop. That's for sure. I mean, listen. Uh, I, I yes, I tweeted this out earlier today. I mean, that's technically not lying. People think that Andy Reid is lying about there not being any special plays in the that's playbook. Was, yeah. I, I mean, listen. There are some coaches that draw plays up the week of the game and sort of uh-huh. invent stuff and put it into the playbook. That's not Andy Reid because nope. he's already invented the plays. He doesn't need to draw them up the week of the game because they're already in the playbook. And yeah. we learned last year, um, you know, kind of in the aftermath of Super Bowl 54, that Rose Bowl, which the Chiefs ran on fourth and goal and ended up converting a first down and then getting obviously the first first touchdown of the Super Bowl last year. That was a play that they had had in the playbook from training camp. They they been practicing it. They they had it in spin. the game plan. They'd had it in the game plan and they practiced it every week the entire year. Mm-hmm. And they just didn't use it because they didn't need it. But it was in there. They practiced it. And that is so much scarier than inventing a play, you know, the week of the game. Like the yeah. the Chiefs, the the special quote unquote special plays that the Chiefs pull out in this game are plays that they're going to have practiced hundreds of times. Like. <laughs> They're 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 gonna have their shit figured out, and I I like what you that that stat that you got from Warren Sharp about the Chiefs' um, motion and play action rates. Combined, I mean, yeah, the the Chiefs were we talked about this in our preview and our our recap of the of the Bills game. The Chiefs kind of sandbagged people through the yeah. start of the regular season. They I mean, laid them, yeah. They they were not using a lot of motion. They were not using as much play action as they they could do. And then against the Bills, they ran motion on like 80 or 85% of the snaps. Now, not yeah. motion and play action together on every snap. But they were running some form of window dressing on almost every single play. And I think we'll talk about this on the defensive side, too. I think this is where these big games are where the Chiefs' current coaching staff really gets a chance to shine. Because yep. now it's time to pull out all the stops. It's time to run, you know, designer plays that you, you haven't run before, you haven't showed before on every play of the game. Uh, one other thing I wanted to bring up is if they are, if Tampa Bay is going to get pressure on the chiefs, if they are going to use that offensive line health issue to get some pressure on Mahomes, it might not work out the way they envision uh, in counting, accounting for the entire 2019 season through this super bowl. So the last two years, Mahomes finishes with plus one expected points added under pressure. The next closest quarterback in the NFL is Lamar Jackson at minus 9.4 and no other quarterback is better than minus 20. So, (laughs) so you can pressure him and because usually pressure leads to good things for defenses, but it's just, that's just not the case with Mahomes. He shreds pressure. And when he scrambles, it's sometimes with his throwing, but when he scrambles the Bucks defense 
allows 0.76 expected points added on a quarterback scramble, which is 31st in the NFL. They have a 75% success rate on quarterback scrambles, 29th in the NFL, and 8.5 yards per carry, 30th in the NFL. And they really haven't faced any of the top scrambling quarterbacks. Those guys are mostly in the AFC with Lamar and and Josh Allen and Deshaun. Deshaun, You know, all the really good running quarterbacks are really AFC quarterbacks. So not only do the Bucs struggle against that with statue NFC quarterbacks, but now they're going up against a guy that, you know, two weeks in his own rehab facility, I'm sure his toe is going to be fine i'm sure his mobility is going to be all there i just don't think even if the bucks get some wins in the pressure i don't think it's going to lead to success yeah and i mean we saw that last year with the niners i mean the niners were getting pressure all game yeah it did force him into two interceptions i mean forced him into it forces maybe a strong word i mean obviously one of them was behind Tyreek, but Tyreek could have caught the ball. And one of them was the first interception obviously was, was kind of a bad read, but, and they had forced him into a situation. I know in the mic'd up, he said, you know, if I could, could have gotten further outside, it could have moved him, but they kind of cut off his route to the, uh, to the outside, to the sideline. They forced him into the only two interceptions he's thrown in seven career playoff games. So I mean, pretty good. Not bad. Pretty, pretty good. So moral of the story is Chiefs pass the ball. They win the game, just like last year, just like every game. And so let's talk about the other side of the ball. When the Buccaneers have the ball against the Chiefs defense, and I already mentioned it, a narrative we left off last week, Steve Spagnuolo versus Tom Brady in a Super Bowl, a rematch. The first one went Steve Spagnuolo's way, and that was, as you mentioned in the roast segment, uh, boy, that was a high-flying Patriots offense, 36 points per game, and they held them to 14. I remember Tom Brady gave an interview in that game. I don't remember who it was um, on the Giants' side that had predicted the Giants were going to win 21-17. to 17. Wow. I remember Tom Brady was asked about that, and he said, we're only going to score 17 points, and he kind of like <laughs> scoffed a little bit, and they scored 14 points. Sick. That's, that's bags, baby. And, you know – I get that he sort of had an up and down career as a DC before coming here to Kansas city. And we weren't really sure what to expect, but man, in the big games, he's come out with great plans. And we saw it last week against the bills. The chiefs were able to pressure Josh Allen consistently throughout the game, a guy who had been good against pressure and very, very good against the blitz going into that game to the point where, you know, in our preview show, I said, sure blitz him. And then I heard, that he was actually one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL against the blitz. And I was like, man, you wouldn't know it from watching him play the chiefs because they had him completely bamboozled. And yep. the chiefs in this first matchup with the bucks in week 12, they, they put it to Tom Brady in the first half. They were getting pressure. They were forcing him into some bad decisions and some bad throws. And we've kind of already alluded to it. I mean, at this stage of his career, He's and pretty much every stage of his career, let's be honest, it's not Brady. He's <laughs> always been a statue, but now he's a 43 year old statue that doesn't like to get hit. And the book on Brady has always been, you know, if you can get pressure up the middle, you can you can force him into making some bad decisions and making some bad throws. And that's true of most quarterbacks. But now, I mean, any pressure at all, no matter where it's coming from, it's gonna be beneficial to the Chiefs. And I yeah. think that they can bring it in this game. Yeah, Brady has thrown – so when you track balls that are thrown more than four yards outside of the tackle box and in, in either direction, Mahomes led the NFL not only in attempts but in all of the 
statistical um, success rates doing that with, you know, your yards per attempt and your touchdowns and all that stuff. Brady, on the other hand, was the exact opposite. He attempted two passes all year long out four yards outside the tackle box. Oof, that's so he almost just, impossible. It is almost impossible unless you literally never run. If you just, if he gets pressure, he either takes the sack or he throws it away or he spikes it or whatever, but he never, ever, ever makes something happen on the outside. And when you're that predictable, you can game plan accordingly when it's when it's a limitation of your abilities and not just a decision, which it absolutely is a limitation of his abilities. Then, you know, the the Chiefs defense knows how they have to play a quarterback that's always standing directly in the pocket. They they absolutely understand their angles that they have to take on the pass rush. They the outside the DBs understand and the DBs for the Chiefs have been absolutely the linchpin of the entire defense you know the line's been getting great pressure but boy that secondary we talked about it against the bills game but they're going to be the difference in this game they absolutely shut down opposing wide receivers all year long with every team and you know the strength of this bucks team is their on offense is their wide receivers is evans and godwin and i guess to some extent ab and I guess Scotty Miller. Scotty Miller, right? Yeah, exactly. But um, if there's any defensive back group that's capable of hanging with those guys, it's obviously the Chiefs' secondary. So I really like the matchup when the Bucks have the ball. I think the Chiefs can do a lot of things there to uh, disrupt the Tampa Bay offense. Yeah, and you you mentioned the word predictability, and that in the context of Tom Brady being predictable in terms of like where he's going to be throwing from and what his platform is, and he's not going to leave the pocket, but not only that, but I think it also applies to the Buccaneers play calling. And, you know, you always have to be a little bit careful when you're game planning in a game like the Super Bowl, where the other team has two weeks to prepare. They have the ability to change things up if they want to. And the Buccaneers were a lot better off their bye week this year in the regular season. They kind of came out strong out of their bye week. Granted, they weren't playing very difficult teams until they got into the playoffs. And obviously they've had some, some impressive wins in the playoffs for sure. But the Buccaneers have one of the more predictable offenses in the NFL, I feel like. Uh, last week or two weeks ago in their last game, the NFC Championship game against Green Bay, they were running on first down an extraordinary percentage of the time. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but it was something like 80 plus percent of the time on first mm-hmm. down. They ran the ball. And that's something they've been doing all year. They've been running the ball on early downs extremely often. And what that means is they're one of the most have pass heavy teams in the NFL on second and third down, but that's because they're running the ball for, you know, two yards carry or whatever it is. On yeah. Their first, first down. down rush rate or rush success rate is very low. If they were doing it because it worked all the time, I get it, but like they, it's not working and they kept going to it. And this is particularly crucial in the context of the chiefs defense, because the chiefs defense And again, thanks to Warren Sharp for these stats. But the Chiefs defense is the third best defense in the NFL, or excuse me, the fourth best defense in the NFL in third and long situations. So if they get you into third and long and you're trying to pick up a long third down for first down, the Chiefs are one of the best defenses in the NFL in that situation. And the Bucs love to be in that situation for some reason. Like Hmm. they love to get to third and long because they love running the ball on first down and that just isn't an efficient way to pick up yardage in 2021 it just it's not the way to run an offense and so you know this will be Bruce Arians first Super Bowl as a head coach obviously it'll be Tom Brady's 10th they're both smart guys I'm sure that they will have 
some wrinkles and I'm yeah. sure that they'll attack the chiefs a little bit differently, certainly than they did in week 12. I'm sure they'll attack them differently than they did the Packers and the saints and the football team in the playoffs. But the fact of the matter is if they keep doing what they've been doing, the chiefs are going to shut it down completely. I mean, they have the ability to put the bucks in situations that the chiefs thrive in. And the Bucks, hmm. frankly, do not. They just good point. If if you're going to put the the Bucks in third and long with a statue of quarterback in the pocket, who, frankly, at at this year, I think he's middle of the pack in terms of his stats against pressure and mm-hmm. against the blitz, mm-hmm. which hasn't always been the case. Obviously, he's he's been very good against that in the past. This year, he's been mediocre. And towards the end of last year, his pressure stats were were bad in New England. I, I, you know, I don't know if it's because of his, his age, maybe his, his brain's turned into soup. I don't know if that's what it <laughs> is. I don't, soup. I don't know if it's because, you know, he's still building chemistry with these, these receivers and he's still kind of picking up this new offense that he's playing in with Brazilians. I don't know what it is, but the numbers say that he is, he's not that good against pressure this year. He's not an elite player against pressure i thought he was the goat though he he did you listen to the middle segment you you were the one talking like i i, I don't he's not the goat taylor he's not the goat no. the chiefs i i i like you know this is such a, a far cry from two years ago when the chiefs were in the playoffs watching tom brady march down the field on them in overtime against bob sutton's defense yep to cost them a trip to the super bowl this is a completely different situation now, two years later, where like if the defense is on the field, I'm going to be plugged into every play. I'm not going to want to go hide in the bathroom, you know, when the other team has the football. I like this matchup for the Chiefs when the Buccaneers have the ball. Yep, I completely agree. I think it's a, it's just a really good X's and O's opponent for the Chiefs. Like if I had to pick an NFC opponent out. Um, this is a really good matchup and it's one that I think the chiefs are going to relish in. I think they're going to rise to the occasion of playing Tom Brady in the super bowl. He was their, their only playoff defeat in the Pat Mahomes era so far. So, I mean, there's just a lot of revenge game. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's just a, there's a lot on the line here as we talked about last week. And I just really like the chiefs in a big game. I always have, I mean, in this, this run they're they're just there's something about the bright lights that this team responds positively to and this is obviously the brightest lights they get so that being said x factors i'm gonna pick for the third week in a row sammy sammy Watkins. (laughs) yeah baby you know it uh sammy obviously did not play against cleveland uh, he made me look like a fool against the Bills because yeah. I, I was saying he's never played the Bills before. Revenge they, game. They drafted him. Revenge game plus playoff Sammy. He ended up not playing. Jesus. And Sammy's been like, we didn't talk about this on bulletin board material because the Chiefs are very good about not giving up bulletin board material. Yeah. Sammy was interviewed. And keep in mind that Sammy hasn't played in months and hasn't played a single playoff game yet this year. He was asked if he was going to be back with the Chiefs, and he said, I would love a third ring for <laughs> yeah, sure. He did. Yeah. Sammy, in in the lead up to the Cleveland game, you know, somebody asked him on Twitter, you know, like, I feel like this is going to be, you know, a contest for you guys. And he's like, not really. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> he's, he's been doing almost more talking than anybody. Yes. On, on the wide receiver in the wide receiver room, and he hasn't even played a game. <laughs> it, it's, 
it's classic nuts, Sammy. Man. It's just it's next level Sammy Watkins stuff. But listen, dude, if he uh, blows up in this game, yeah, he's, he's coming back. Yeah, I, I, and I, frankly, I'm fine with it. Like, you yeah. know, if if we're gonna pay Sammy, you to know, win like, Super Bowls. <laughs> If we're going to pay Sammy on an incentive laden deal and he never hits his incentives, but he shows up in the playoffs or in the <laughs> Super Bowl, sure, why not? Like, let's dig him out, you know, a couple yeah. of times, a couple of times a year. And frankly, he could be big because he didn't play in week 12. And He's fresh. And a lot of the a lot of the players that we saw in week 12, we're going to see again in this game. They, yeah. There's a lot of the same personnel. Obviously, it's the, the same two teams. It wasn't that long ago. It was just two months ago that they played. Sammy Watkins wasn't in that game and he obviously was huge in the Super Bowl last year. You know, he, he hasn't put a lot on tape this year. Nope. His legs are fresh. <laughs> I, I'm picking Sammy Watkins as my X factor. I, and I, I want to hear yours, Taylor. I, I want to see where you're going with this. So my X factor is Leonard Fournette. Okay. Explain defend. So he at one time was a top five pick at one time was a, a young superstar running back fell off in good graces in Jacksonville, picked up with this Tampa Bay super team that they formed in the off season and really ran behind Ronald Jones for most of the year this year. But with Ronald Jones being injured and ineffective, he's taken over and he's now the lead back in Tampa. And it, if he has success, if he has a vintage Leonard Fournette game, which is weird to say about a 24-year-old or whatever, but, I mean, if he looks like the Jaguar, then, you know, those first down rushes by Tampa Bay are probably going to be decently effective. If he's running all, you know, up and down the field, it's going to mean that Tom Brady can then play action and kind of do some more fun stuff like that. If he's Leonard Fournette that we saw last year and that we saw for a lot of this year where he's not super effective – then, you know, then that rushing attack really doesn't have anything and it's going to be all on the shoulder of Tom Brady. And I don't think the Bucs are, are prepared to win that type of game. So I think if Leonard Fournette has a big game, it could be close. And I think if he doesn't have a big game, it's probably going to be a blowout. Yeah. So that brings us to the final part of our Super Bowl preview show, Taylor. And that's prediction time. I don't know. We're, we're going to have to do like a prediction retrospective during the deep <laughs> off season winter yeah. where we go back and we actually like track See how we did. our success rate here. We've both been picking the chiefs to win pretty much every week. And that's been going great. Of course uh, the, I picked the, them to go undefeated in the regular season. You did. And they only lost two games at so one of those games. Patrick Mahomes didn't start. So that was pretty good. I actually picked them to go 14 and two. I didn't think that they were going to lose the two games that they actually did lose. I thought they'd lose yeah. to like the Ravens and the saints or something like that. Nope. They lost to the Raiders and the chargers. Of course they did, but let's hear a score. And obviously we both are going to pick the chiefs to win because you know, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to live in a world Taylor. And I certainly don't want to record a podcast in a world where Tom Brady has beaten Patrick Mahomes in a Super Bowl. So what's your prediction for this game? 34-17 good guys. I think they are going to cruise. I like it. I'm going to go slightly tighter. I'm going to say 33-24. to 24, And I'm going to say the Chiefs pull it out. So hopefully, Taylor, on Sunday night, we're yeah. going to be we're going to be coming to you guys. I'm not live. Live. Say live, <laughs> live, live. It's, it's, it's going to be live, whatever. It's we'll going to be an live. emergency podcast. Fuck that's it, for sure. It. We'll do it live. We're, we're going to do an emergency podcast 
Probably not if they lose, but they're not going to lose. Chiefs are going to win. We're going to be back-to-back champions. We will see you Sunday night. It's always sunny in Chiefs Kingdom.